This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Did you open your Bibles to the book of John chapter 13? How many of you guys have reached the point of your life where plantar fasciitis has hit you? Yeah, most of, I'll say this, most of them are in the 9 a.m. service. Um, I prom like when I said that in the 9 a.m., like half the room's like, oh, oh yeah, okay. that's because they're all like old. Um, oh, I know. It hit me uh, a couple of years ago, um, and I, I didn't even know that it was a thing. That's the thing about getting older, man, is that the amount of things that can go wrong in your body grow exponentially. Right? You could just wake up in the morning with a sore back, and all I did was lay there. You know what I mean? Like I used to have to lift something to injure myself, and now I can just lay in the bed, and somehow I have completely injured myself. <laughs> and that was the thing with this plantar fasciitis thing, was that like my foot, I would get up, I mean, I'm just laying there in the night. Thank you. Is it complimentary? <laughs> get a room. <laughs> Done. <laughs> I apologize for that. Um, I, I'm just laying there, and in the morning, I can't even put my foot on the floor because it hurts so bad, and I've just been laying there. And then uh, I remember making a joke about it uh, at a church service a few years ago, and I got like 15 emails before I got home going, you got to go get Hoka's. Do you guys know about Hoka shoes? Okay, well, I thought they were like orthopedic uh, grandpa shoes, and I, at that point, I didn't care. Because, I, you know, strap car tire, I didn't know what, whatever it took, I didn't care, especially because I was leaving for Haiti the next morning. And then I found out that I'm like actually very fashion forward, that, you know, the, uh, like the, the Jeremy Coward uh, fit people of the world, like this is something that they all wear in fitness. So I felt pretty good. It wasn't Dr. Schultz, uh, although I did meet, this is a 100% true story, uh, last year or two years ago, I was at an event and I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, the stickers. This is an only in Nashville moment. Um, the stickers of the who's going to be there, like the hello my name is. And it's like people you would have heard of. And, and I'm still figuring out why I'm here. And, but then I see one, and all it says on the thing is meatloaf. <laughs> one word. So, um, and it was, it was uh, meatloaf, like the, the guy, meatloaf. Um, now, the thing about meatloaf at this point in his life was he... Uh, I mean, he looked like he was a bad out of hell. You know what I'm saying? Like he, <laughs> he looked like he'd, he'd had a hard life, Scotty. <laughs> like he'd, and honestly, if you'd have thrown a vest on him and put him at Walmart, you'd have just thought he was a greeter. Like he just, he, you know, he, like the, the bad out of hell days were long gone. <laughs> um, but on Mr. Loaf's feet, um, 100% true, Dr. Scholl's Tennis shoes with the little Velcro straps, so like, like, like a child's. And here's what you learn, though. No dignity in that. But first of all, he's meatloaf, so what am I going to say? Uh, and second of all, what meatloaf knows is what I learned with my feet is if the feet ain't right, nothing's right. Your whole day goes downhill. If your feet are messed up, everything else is down. Jesus is about to wash some feet because if your feet ain't right, ain't nothing right. Not just Mr. Loaf but you and me as well. And I want to read a couple of these verses out of John chapter 13. Now, let's start in verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, 
And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And then let's, uh, let's go down to verse five. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And Peter said, no, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And in verse 9, then Simon Peter replied, well, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And let's pray. That's God's word. Heavenly Father, we come to you with an open heart and an open mind and open hands to receive what you have for us tonight. I pray that your word will be the light and the lamp that you promised it would be to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wasn't the song that Matt, no, that was Matt Hammett that, that sang that song. It was great, right? I don't, Matt, um, in another life, was in a band called Sanctus Real. I don't know if you know who that is. There was also his daughter, Emmy, uh, singing with him. She's 17. Uh, she's fantastic, right? Is Emmy, fans of Emmy? <laughs> the Emmy fan base back there. Uh, Matt was writing a song that if you've been around Jesus for any length of time, you've experienced it someplace where you've, you've ran up against a moment where a bunch of Jesus people together and either you were hurt or you did the hurting. And I've been alive long enough that I've been both. And what I want you to see here is that in this group right here, these 12, they had the best church experience ever. Jesus, are you kidding me? He's the teacher. Jesus is the worship leader, right? <laughs> Probably the youth pastor, I guess. I don't know. He, I mean, you talk about a small group experience, like that was awesome. Jesus is your small group leader. <laughs> they had the best possible experience when it comes to Jesus' people coming together. And still, in the middle of that, there's a guy named Judas who's going to betray them. And by the way, there's another guy named Peter who's kind of a loud mouth, who was hurting people's feelings as well. And what I would like to take away, we don't have much time tonight, I'm fully aware of that, is that, but I want you to at least see before we go that if you haven't run into this yet, you're going to run into a moment where someone's going to hurt you in a, in a church situation. Someone's going to, I might be the one that does it. And what I want you to see is that you have a choice. Do you have a choice when you're walking with Jesus that when we run into each other, when we bump into each other, we're all stumbling towards redemption, right? Like we're all in a place where we are falling into just redemption together. It means we're going to run into each other. And Jesus, knowing, this is last, like his last hour on earth here. Like he is literally about to be crucified. He's sitting around this table with his disciples. And by the way, the next chapters, 14, 15, 16, 17, is all around the table. These next four chapters are all Jesus kind of doing like a leadership intensive, like a coaching for here's what's going to happen. This chapter 12 was Jesus being prepared for his death. Chapter like 13 through 17 is Jesus preparing them for his death and his resurrection. 
And what he says in that last verse that we read, uh, we didn't read that, verse 17, is now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you do these things together as Jesus people. What are the things that he's talking about? Does it mean foot washing? We got a big thing of water. We could do it right now. Uh, By the way, there are certain denominations. I believe the Mennonites are one. They're not only good at butter and sewing, but they also have made this an ordinance of, of the faith, right along with communion, right? This is an ordinance of the church. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just don't think that's what Jesus was saying. You're blessed if you do this. Because you don't see that in Acts. You don't see it in the, in the, the epistles of Paul or John or Peter. So it doesn't mean that you can't do that, but I just don't think that's what it's talking about. I think the this that he's talking about is the idea that if we can serve others around us. Because in the middle of this, this dinner that they're having, they had just had an argument, Luke tells us, about who was the greatest. So at the same dinner table, John doesn't say this, but in Luke it tells us that they had just had an argument. Again, great church experience, great small group leader, and this small group, right before Jesus' crucifixion, is arguing over who's the greatest. Who's the greatest among us? That's bumping into each other on their way to redemption, right? And so, what I think Jesus is saying, blessed if you do these things, not saved if you do these things, he's going to wash us. That's not to save us, but your life is going to be so much better if you do these things. And what I think he, you can see, you can break it down in the way this passage unwinds, receiving his love, responding to his love, and remaining in his love. Blessed are you if you do these things. The entire theme of the next four chapters, if you were to sum it up in one word, is love. You see it, chapters 15, 16, 17, if you remain in me and I remain in you, right, a new command I give you, that you love one another, that's the whole gist of this. Now, when I say receive his love, I've been following Jesus a long time. Some of you have been following longer, some of you not as long. We all know the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But have you ever stopped to receive it? To, to, like what, what Eric was talking about, like the God of the universe, so infinite that we can't build a telescope that can see as far as he is created, he loves you. Pride doesn't want us to receive that, right? Like the way that he loves us is not just with his words, but with his actions. In fact, not to overbeat a point here, but I mean, he's just saying here that I, all power has been given to me. I've been, all that I've now been given. And what does he do with this power? He gets on his knees and he washes their feet. Their feet would have been disgusting. If you've ever been in a developing nation with me, and some of you have, and some of you will be, at least you've seen it, like like their feet, when you walk, when you live your entire life barefoot or in sandals, you technically don't need shoes because shoes kind of grow onto the bottom of your feet. They're like little Michelin tires on the bottom, just cracked and hardened and like an extra layer. When Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news, it isn't because the feet are beautiful, it's because 
what the feet do is beautiful. In fact, this dinner, it says that the dinner has already started. How many were here for the Seder that Joey did about last month? Remember, there's a ceremonial washing that you start the meal with, and then there's another washing, but it's for washing hands. And John tells us the dinner had already started, which means the hands had already been washed, but now they're moving not to the hands, but to the feet. This was absolutely crazy. Their feet, like there were supposed to be people washing the feet because you didn't want to bring the mud in, but that was a job for servants. It was a job for people at the lowest of the caste system. So when Peter is going to say in a minute, you're not washing my feet, he was offended by the idea because somebody like Jesus, a rabbi, you can search through every religion in Greco-Roman history, no example of this anywhere in any religion in ancient history of a God getting on his knees to wash his people's feet. He loved them, and he loved them to the end, and would they or would they not receive that love? Judas did not receive it. How do we know? He's about to leave. By the way, by the time this is happening, imagine this. Matthew tells us Judas had already gotten the 30 pieces of silver. Jingling in his pocket were 32 pieces of silver as Jesus knelt to wash his feet. That's how much Jesus loves us. And if you don't think that you can receive that love because of what you've done in your life, because I've been so bad, I've done awful things that, Darren, you don't know about, know that Jesus knelt at the feet of a guy with 30 pieces of silver that sold him out and washed his feet. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ including your own stupidity and mine. Receiving that love, it starts with that because if you can receive the love that he has given you, it empowers you then to love others who have hurt you. Which is what this next idea is, which is not just receiving it, but responding to it. Peter and Judas are not that different. Let me put it a little different. Me and Judas are not that different. I cannot remember the philosopher or the theologian, it might have been Dostoevsky, but that the line of good and evil doesn't go between groups of people. The line of good and evil runs through the heart of every human. Identity politics wants us to separate these are good people and these are bad people. But that's not reality. Reality is we are all good and bad and that Jesus came to take the bad and wash it away from us. Judas did not receive, did not respond. Peter, and and when I say he's not that different, I mean, it was Matthew 16 where he says, no, no, they're not going to crucify you. They're not going to, I'm going to save you. And And what did Jesus say to him? Satan, get behind me. That would have hurt my feelings. I'm going to be real honest with you. Satan, get behind me. But he wasn't calling Peter Satan. He's calling Satan, Satan. 
that any plan that takes you away from the cross, any plan that says that Jesus didn't have to die for my sins is not a Jesus plan, that's a Satan plan. Because any other plan is a saved by works plan. Jesus was a saved by grace plan. And it's not just a better option, it's the only option for us to receive eternity. So responding is what Peter does. Peter's like, okay, if, I, if, if, if that's what it takes, don't just wash my feet, wash my head, wash my hands. Give me a shower. Give it all to me. Wash me clean. That was Peter's response. Because Peter by this point had learned, and by the way, he's going to keep messing stuff up. This is not going to be the last time Peter says something dumb. In fact, it's just a couple hours later, he's going to be like, I will never deny you, ever, except when I do. In fact, for those of you going to Israel with me in February, one of the places we're going to be is in Caiaphas' basement. There's a handful of places in Israel where they know this is where it happened. There's some where this might be it, that might be that, but there are some where they know this is where it happened. And here's what you learn when you are in Caiaphas' basement. First of all, it was a cistern, and it was the very bottom. And the second, is it right outside where, where Peter would have been standing to warm his hands by a fire? Jesus. Because it says not only did Peter deny him, he denied him very loudly. Jesus heard Peter deny him. He would have heard it. And still he came back and found and loved him. Peter still had the chance. Judas had the same chance that Peter had. Judas rejected it and Peter accepted it. Peter says, wash me, wash me all over. I'm going to need to keep being washed. There's even a couple of uh, theologians and commentators that talk about that, the washing of our hearts by the word, that this is not about salvation because we are clean. Because what does he say? If you've already had a bath, you don't need another one, but you're going to need to wash your feet. This is a picture of just what sanctification looks like. Because tomorrow morning, I don't know, it's still early, tonight maybe, <laughs> I'm going to step in it again. <laughs> and I'm going to need my feet washed. I'm going to need the sanctification to ongoing in my life with my own sin and your own sin. This is not about being forgiven. This is just about living a blessed life. Judas had the chance to respond to his love and his response was to run out the door and to sell Jesus out for his own sinful desires. And when I say that, it's important for us to know that we all have that opportunity in our own hearts to receive, right, to respond We have the opportunity to acknowledge in our own hearts that we need, that we need it to begin with, that we actually need a savior. I didn't, he says, I'm a teacher. You're saying I'm a teacher. That's great. You're saying I'm your Lord. That's great. But what he is, is he is our, our savior. There was a guy named Adolf Eichmann, part of the Third Reich. He was a war criminal of ginormous proportions, escaped to Argentina before he was caught by Mossad. Don't ever get on the bad side of Mossad, by the way, they will find you. Brought him back for trial in Jerusalem in 1960. He was responsible for the deaths of millions, at least millions 
of Jews. And there was an author named Hannah Arendt. And she had written a book at this point by 1960 called The Origins of Totalitarianism. If you've never read it, it's a fascinating read. This was her response to reading of what was happening in World War II and totalitarianism, what was happening in the Third Reich and Stalin. And, but she asked, when she found out that they caught Eichmann and there was going to be a trial long before the internet, long before people had their cell phone cameras, you know, video recording him getting busted, she volunteered for the New Yorker, can I go to Jerusalem and cover this trial as an author? And from that came a book called Eichmann in Jerusalem. Fascinating book as well. This was a follow-up. And why she did this was she, was, she wanted to know, she'd been writing theoretically about these monster totalitarian leaders, dictators who had taken millions of lives, Stalin and Hitler she wanted to go and see this guy up front. And in her mind, she talks about, I wanted to, what kind of a monster must this guy be, right? What, what kind of an X-Men villain might he be or an Avengers villain? Like what, what possible, he must be horrible. And when she got there, one of the things that she writes, looking back in history, one of the words, the, I think the exact phrase was how terrifyingly and terribly ordinary he was. An older, slouching, balding, bo- these were her words, boring old man. How terrifyingly and terribly ordinary he was. And on the scale of zero to Eichmann, let me maybe put it differently, a scale between Jesus and Eichmann. Jesus being over here, Eichmann being over here. As humans... We like to think that we're over here on the scale, but as humans, we are way closer to Eichmann than we are to Jesus, and that's why he came to save us. And part of the reason that most people in the world refuse to look at Jesus as a savior is because I can't imagine that how anybody could possibly be Adolf Eichmann And the answer is we all have that inside of us because the line of good and evil goes through each heart. And Jesus came to wash not only our feet, but to wash us all who would believe on him. We don't have to live our lives like a Judas. (laughs) We don't have to run away. You know, is is it possible that Judas could have given his life, could have, I 100% believe we can put the predestination versus Arminianism aside and whatever, but just if, if he would have come and repented to Jesus, I believe that he would have been forgiven if he would have just received and responded to his love. The last thing is to remain in it once you've received it, once you've responded, saying, and by the way, the response is very simple, wash me. Wash me, Jesus. That's my response. The only proper response is I need to be washed completely, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Wash me completely. And that love that he had that would give it to me, now to remain in it, now that you do the, know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Remain in the love that he has given us. And it's hard to remain in it when you're around other people. Someone said once about being an artist manager that if it weren't for artists, 
it'd be the best job in the world. No disrespect, uh, Schweitzer. Is Mike in here? I can't even see back there. Mike came, it's casual night for Mike. He came from the lake, apparently. <laughs> you look good, man. But there's, there's people, when you're, when you're in any job at all, right, there are people around that are going to rub you wrong, you're going to rub them wrong. When you're in a group where there are humans at all, that's just going to happen. And so you have a couple of choices. One is to withdraw completely. That is certainly a choice, but it is not how we were designed to be. No, on the other hand, we have the choice of remaining in his love so that not if, but when you are hurt by somebody, that you are in his love, you have received his love and responded to it, that I can take it to the cross and not nail them to the cross. Think about being in a church. It's not a what, it's a who. You know, one of the reasons we don't do membership here is you don't need paperwork to come here, you don't need paperwork to leave here. <laughs> when we very first moved in here, we still had a phone that would just ring lonely on the wall uh, in there, like, because the, the church that had been here before, they were uh, 20 years, Baptist church. And occasionally we'd get a call. So occasionally someone would be like, oh crap, I forgot we had a phone here. We should answer that. Um, and it was Hillview Baptist Church. And there'd be another Baptist church asking us if we could send them the paperwork for such and such member because they had moved to their church. And I remember answering the phone going, I'm sorry, what? Paperwork? <laughs> like, what, what does that even mean? Like, what do you mean? Like, send them paperwork on like the new membership? And, and bless their hearts. Like, there's not a sinful thing. I just didn't know that that was a thing. But we're like, well, we don't need paperwork. And you know what else you don't need? If, if, if you feel like God is moving you to a different place, you don't need my permission for that. It, it doesn't, we say this in staff meeting all the time when someone has moved on, when you see him at Walmart, don't be weird. Because it's not weird. Because the kingdom of God, he has assignments for people in specific places. There are certain people that... This was the season for them here, and it was the season someplace else. It's not weird. That happens all the time. God has assignments and, and, and things for us to do in different places. And in the church world, I don't know where it ever got. I don't know, man. I don't know where it got weird, but like, I remember when Shannon and I were at a church for a long time, and we'd, we saw the pastor, and he literally went the complete other direction. I know he saw me. was in the produce department at Kroger. It went the complete opposite direction of me. And I'm like, wait, no, I thought we were friends. And here's the thing, he's not a bad guy. He's not, he loves Jesus. He loves his wife, he loves his children, he loves the church. But he's been hurt as well in his life. So if I receive God's love, if I'm receiving and I'm responding to the love of Christ, and then remaining in it, that I don't have to tweet about him, I don't have to set up a blog about how hurt or angry I am. I can just say, you know what, he, in his brokenness, me and my brokenness, and we stumbled into each other, and that Jesus' love, even if this side of heaven, it, it doesn't ever get unweird there, that Jesus' love can still carry us to the end. There's one example of this in the scriptures that is just incredible to me, and it's in Acts chapter 13. Go there later. Paul and Barnabas, this power duo of evangelists of changing the world, and they had Barnabas' nephew, John Mark, with them. And John Mark 
did what young men do, did something stupid, and he abandoned them. And Acts 13 tells us that Paul and Barnabas, I believe the King James says, had no small disagreement, which is Bible speaking, for thus saith the Lord, they shouted at each other. (laughs) They be screaming at each other. And Paul and Barnabas at that point broke off, and there's no reference in Scripture of them ever speaking again. They were so angry at each other. And what were they angry about? Barnabas says, let's give him another chance. Paul said, oh no, mess with me once, shame on me. Mess with me twice, right? No, no, shame on you. I got it backwards, you know what I mean. Paul was not gonna give him another chance to do that. And they, no small disagreement, they ran away from each other and they never ever spoke again. Now, church history teaches us that Barnabas continued to be a very successful, profound church planter. Paul, clearly, very successful, impacting church planter. But at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15, Paul is alone in Rome. Paul has been abandoned by most of his friends. And he's sending a friend back Send for my cloak. It's cold. I'm in this prison. Have him bring my parchments. I need something to write with. And have him bring to me John Mark because he's been good for my ministry. 20 years later, the guy that Paul said, I don't want anything to do with you. We don't have any idea when the reconciliation happened. We don't have any idea when Paul came to his senses. But what we do know is that the one guy that Paul knew he could rely on to get his stuff and get back to Rome was John Mark. Because that's the power of remaining in his love. That's the power of when there's been a a division, when there's been a split that we don't know how it'll play out down the line, but we do know this, that God is big and that even in our stupidity and my stupidity and my sin, that God can restore. And if maybe this side of heaven, it doesn't restore, but on the other side of heaven, we'll all sit around those campfires. But this side of heaven, we have a chance to say, let's remain in his love. Because Jesus is gonna get up in a minute here and he's gonna go to the cross And these disciples who were cowering, who were chickens, who were the Holy Spirit's going to come on them, and they're about to change the world because they learned to receive, respond, and remain in his love. And I pray that you and I, as followers of Jesus in a modern time, know that we can do the same. Stand to your feet and let's get out of here. Heavenly Father, your word is a light, your word is a lamp. Lord, Would you speak to us, heal those of us that have experienced it? Lord, forgive those of us who have caused it. I pray for supernatural healing that we don't sit and wallow in the pain. We we heal from it, but we don't wallow in it because at some point we got to get up from the table with Jesus and get about the kingdom of God. We can't stay at the table forever. There's work to be done in your kingdom and you've invited us, empowered us to be a part of it. Thank you for that. Thank you for healing us. Thank you for forgiving us. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody even in this room that's experienced that kind of hurt and pain here in our church family, that you would give them the courage to reach out and to seek 
healing and reconciliation and for us, if it's us that caused it, that you would give us wisdom on how, Lord, how to best communicate our love and our repentance to them. We love you, Jesus. We're so thankful for you. It's in your name that you pray. Your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen.